just want to give you a heads up. If you've looked at your teaching outline and it looks a little squirrely on the back, don't worry, I'll explain what that's all about at the end of service. I've entitled this morning's message, Before He Was a Baby, He is King. Now, grammatically, that is awkward and probably incorrect. But theologically, it is correct. Because Jesus didn't start to exist when he was immaculately conceived. Jesus, God the Son, always existed. And there are things that we refer to as Christophanies that point to his eternal nature. And it would be helpful to have a definition of what a Christophany is. And so in your notes, it's listed that a Christophany is an appearance of Christ that is distinctly separate from his incarnation. Because Jesus appeared various times throughout Old Testament history. We saw one such incident last week, and we're going to, we're going to look at another one this morning. So if you would, please open up your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 5. We'll be in Joshua and also the book of Revelation, chapter 19. So you can start bookmarking those places so we can flip back and forth. Now here in Joshua chapter 5, Israel had wandered in the desert for 40 years. Moses had died and the Lord had chosen Joshua to take over for Moses in leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. They, and they had just crossed the Jordan and they were about to invade Jericho. That's the setting for this historical account that we pick up in Joshua chapter 5, starting in verse 13. When Joshua was, was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Wow, what an encounter. Who, who was this commander of the army of the Lord? Was it just a man? Was it God in general? Or Jesus in particular? I think we can, we can safely say that, but let's prove it by going to Scripture. So if you would, please turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Whenever possible, we want God's word to, to clarify God's word for, for us by reading various parts of Scripture to see if we can see something that is not directly evident. So Revelation, chapter 19, starting in verse 9. This is the Apostle John who is recording these things. Revelation 19, verse 9. And the angel said to me, 
write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So here John, overwhelmed by what, the angel, what he saw and what the angel told him, he fell down and worshipped at the feet of the angel. And the angel said, Don't do that. Worship God. I'm just another servant like you. So that leads us to our first observation about this commander of the army of the Lord. John is rebuked for worshiping the angel. But in Joshua chapter 5 verse 14, Joshua number 1 in your notes is not rebuked for falling down and worshiping him. Joshua fell and worshiped and there was no, there was no correction. He, he was allowed to, to continue to do that. Only God is to be worshipped. So that's our first clue. Joshua asked, Are you for us or for our adversaries? In Joshua 5.14. And his answer was no. It's an odd answer. But it leads to our second point. His answer is above the conflict. It is transcendent. The question required an either-or response. Husbands, you know when our wives ask, would you like broccoli or corn as a side dish for dinner? The answer is not no. It's broccoli or corn. <laughs> but here, the commander had his own plans. He said, no, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. The Lord is for his own plans and purposes. He is for us in that we are in step with those things. So the commander of the army of the Lord was, had a higher purpose than Joshua's question. So that's why he answered no, and not whether he was for Joshua or against Joshua. In, in verse 15, Joshua is instructed to remove his sandals because the ground he was standing on is holy. And this, this kind of connects back to last week when we looked at this verse in Exodus chapter 3. You don't have to turn there, I'll read. Uh, but Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. 
that leads to our third observation about this commander of the army of the Lord, that the ground in his presence is holy. Holy ground. Literally ground of holiness. Ground rendered holy by the presence of God himself upon it. So it seems like the commander of the army of the Lord is God. Because he's allowed to be worshipped and the ground in his presence is holy. But can we go any further and be more specific about that? I think we can. In verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5, it says, A man standing with his sword drawn. If you would, please turn to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. But I would like to read verse, uh, Revelation 1, 5 while you're turning there. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Keeping that in mind, let's look down at verse 11 in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arraigned in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Powerful image. The one sitting on the white horse is the king that leads the armies of heaven. It's Jesus. So we can safely conclude that Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army. And I have to ask the question, why? Why did Jesus appear to Joshua when he did? To get a better understanding of that, you need to consider Joshua's life up to that point. He was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent out to scope out the promised land. He and his, his buddy Caleb, they returned with the other 10 spies and they confirmed that the land was indeed everything that the Lord had said that land would be. The other 10 pointed out that there were giants in the land and they better not go in. And it's interesting that Josh, neither Joshua nor Caleb refuted their observation. They never said, well, you know, they're exaggerating. They're not really giants. By their silence, they, they agreed. Yeah, there are giants there. But that didn't stop Joshua and Caleb from advising Moses 
to proceed anyway because the Lord had given them the land. See, Joshua remembered God's greatness in delivering them out of Egypt. They witnessed the miracles and his protection to bring them to that point. Just he and Caleb out of the 12. And what was, what was this other spy's response to them advising Moses, take the land, let's go into land anyway, was to stone them. The 10 spies told Moses and told the rest of Israel, stone Joshua and Caleb. That had to rock their worlds. Have you ever been faithful to the Lord, had trust in the Lord, standing on your faith and, and, and his track record in your life and those around you tell you not to believe that you're, you're, you're out in left field? Those who claim to worship the same God as Joshua and Caleb were telling everyone to stone them. That's unbelievable. That would, that would certainly shake my faith. I would wonder, how could, how could everyone be wrong and I be right? Yet, in this case, Joshua and Caleb were right. And as a result of their rebellion, of the Ten's rebellion, the Lord had ordered that everyone, 20 years and older, except for Joshua and Caleb, would not see the promised land. They would die in the desert. And for 40 years, they wandered in the desert. And Joshua and Caleb had to witness people die off, one by one, people that they knew. Year after year, for 40 years. There's no record of Joshua grumbling. No record of Joshua complaining. When I think about that, that's pretty miraculous in and of itself. Here, Joshua had to wander in the desert for 40 years, even though he was faithful. He and Caleb trusted the Lord, yet they experienced the same consequences of wandering as the unfaithful and the rebellious. Joshua is a much bigger man than me, because I would have been very resentful. I'm like, it's because of you people that I have to wander in the desert? For 40 years, I get torqued up if my Amazon order is two days late. And, and here, here he is, being faithful and obedient for 40 years. I haven't even been a believer for 40 years. And to, to, to see Joshua not complain. But we can learn from Joshua's example. Are you in a storm? Is your faith being tested? Does the weight of a burden feel too heavy for you? Are you waiting for God to intervene in a situation? Do you want more joy? Do you want more peace? Maybe a greater closeness to God? The answer to all of those above It's about abiding in Christ. And we see an example of what that looks like in Joshua chapter 5. So if you're still in Revelation, please turn back 
to the book of Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to take a look at a pattern of abiding in Christ, what that looks like in a very practical way through the life of Joshua. So Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. So why the need to circumcise and circumcise a second time? That's medically impossible. But they're not re- he wasn't referring to those who were already circumcised. Because as it turns out, those who, those who were freed from Egypt that came along with Moses had already been circumcised. But those who were born in the wilderness during those 40 years were not circumcised. And so the Lord had ordered Joshua to circumcise those who had not been circumcised. This was evidence that all had fallen short by not obeying God's word about circumcision, which we see in the book of Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It's repeated often, and yet none of them born in the wilderness had been circumcised. So we see the first step in abiding in Christ is to receive the word of God. Joshua heard from God, and responded by being obedient. There was no hesitation, there was no pushback, there were no excuses. Receive God's word. Truth, wisdom. If you have discernment, then God's word brings confirmation. If you have confusion, God's word brings clarification. If you're in sin, God's word brings correction. Receive the word of God from Scripture directly. Have a Bible reading plan. Pastor James has put together a reading plan for 2022 that he's going to make available to to everyone within a week or so. And what I really appreciate about this plan is it's not just something put together to make sure all the bases are covered, but it's intentional and deliberate to meditate on God's word so that we have a purpose why we're getting into God's word and we can meditate and receive what the Lord has for us. So be on the lookout for that. And if you don't get it, remind us. Receive the word of God from sermons. Re-listen to some of the messages here. Go back to the archives. We go back. It's all online. Truth is truth. We can also receive the word of God from biblically-minded believers. You know those who are mature in their faith, who love the Lord, love his people, and are living out the truth of the word. 
That's how we can receive the word of God. The response to God's word should be change. Change in attitudes, change in actions, growth, growth in gratitude, growth in obedience, growth in love, growth in worship. I try to keep it real. So this next point is pretty real. If it doesn't move you, if God's word does not move you, check yourself for a pulse. It's a serious matter. Examine yourself. Are you so wrapped up in your situation that you can't hear his word? Maybe you've gone through the motions of just reading God's word on a regular basis and it's no longer impacting you. Be careful. Chronic inaction in response to God's word results in callous indifference to it. Our hearts will be calloused over if we don't respond to God's word. It just becomes words on a page. So be very careful if you read God's word and are not moved to change. It's a difficult truth, but I'm sharing this with you because I love you and I want you to abide in Christ. And you're in a danger zone if you're not moved by God's word. Talk with someone. Let others bear that burden with you. If you are not moved by God's word, speak to someone you trust. Confide in them. Let them know. I'm not getting anything out of God's word. Have that conversation. It's important. Verse 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month and in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Circumcision was a requirement, it was a prerequisite to be able to partake of the Passover. So it seems like they hadn't been observing the Passover either because they weren't circumcised. Now the Passover was a reminder to God's people of his faithfulness in freeing them from slavery and protecting them from the destroyer. And so we see here the next step in abiding in Christ is to remember the faithfulness of God. The Lord has a perfect track record of faithfulness. He provided manna for 40 years. And when they arrived in Canaan, he provided by the fruit of the land. Joshua remembered God's faithfulness. He remembered he delivered them from slavery and he remembered that he provided for them while they were wandering. So look to the past for comfort today and hope for tomorrow. And I 
And I have to clarify what I mean by look to the past, not to dwell on the past or the good old days, because the good old days were not always as good as we think they were. But to look to the past, because whatever you're dealing with now, you need to see that in the context of God's work in your life up to that point. How he saved you. How he provided in the past. How he protected. How he healed. He made a way when there was no way. God has kept his word and his promises in the past and he will fulfill the rest of them in his time. So hang in there. Remember his faithfulness in your life. Verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. But now we know that the commander of the Lord's army is Jesus himself. So Joshua, having come face to face with Jesus, fell and worshipped. That leads us to our third step in abiding in Christ, and that is to respect the greatness of God. Joshua recognized Jesus, the Lord, fell down in worship. He recognized the greatness of God. Now, God is infinite and he's incomprehensible, but he draws attention to his attributes that we need to be reminded of. There are elements of his nature that require additional focus. So Israel was about to confront Jericho in battle. And Jesus appeared as the commander of the Lord's army because Joshua needed to see that part of the Lord, that he was the commander, that he's in charge. Respect the greatness of God. There are five things that distract us from the sense of the greatness of God. And I shared this with the ladies at the Christmas tea, so it'll be a reminder uh, for them, but for the rest of us, we're hearing it for the first time, perhaps. Five things that distract us from a sense of the greatness of God. First, details. The little things that we need to do to get things done. The mundane things that occupy our time and attention. Next is detours. Those things that are off track, off plan, off script, off road. They're not part of the plan. This wasn't supposed to happen. We have details, detours, duties. The things that we have to do. Get up, eat. Do the things we have to do, go to bed, rinse and repeat. It's that drudgery of 
of everyday life that can cause us to lose a sense of the greatness of God. Our roles as husband, father, son, mother, daughter, sister, Christian, those roles that have responsibilities and duties assigned and attached to them, they can distract us from seeing the greatness of God. Details, detours, duties, downers. These are situations that bum us out. Flat tire, the hot water heater that busts, being stuck in traffic when we're late. We can get caught up in those, in, in those situations and lose the sense of the greatness of God. And the fifth thing are downers. No, drainers, sorry, drainers. Downers are the things that bum us out. Drainers are people. By the chuckling, I think you, you have someone in mind. These are folks who you have a, a five, minute, ten minute conversation with who drain the joy and energy out of you that you, after ten minute conversation, you feel like you need to take a nap. They can cause us to be distracted and lose a sense of the greatness of God. Details, detours, duty, downers, and drainers. But we need to keep this in mind. Small God, big problems. Big God, small problems. Relative to God's greatness and eternity, the pro- our problems are small and temporary. I mean, this is one reason why we come to church on a Sunday to gather as a body of believers. We should come away from a church service with the truth that we have small problems, but a big God. The God who created all things by simply speaking is big enough to handle our problems. But we need to keep our our hearts and minds focused on the greatness of God. When we lose sight of that, our problems seem much bigger than they are. And some, some problems by worldly standards are big. I'm not ignoring or denying that. But in contrast to the, to the greatness of God that we love and serve and we have been adopted into his family, those problems relative to the greatness of God are very small. We need to have that perspective and context. Now into Joshua chapter 6. Starting in verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So they did those things for six days. Now down on verse 15, on the seventh day they rose early 
at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Down to verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. They obeyed the Lord's instructions, and it happened exactly as he said it would happen. Was it the sonic resonance of the trumpets and the shouts that caused the wall to fall? That's the reason the skeptics give. That's what the experts on the History Channel say. But we know the truth. We know the truth. Step four in abiding in Christ. Recognize the blessings of God. Joshua and Israel knew it was the Lord who did this. And in, but even in spite of knowing that, and we're not going to go into chapter 7 this morning, but in chapter 7 it describes how there were a few who were not grateful, didn't recognize God's blessing. They were greedy and unthankful and they took matters into their own hands. He's still in the business of doing things only he can do. That kind of points back to point number three, the greatness of God. Sometimes these blessings are in response to prayer. Sometimes they're unsolicited just to bless us. Sometimes in ways we don't even see. Sometimes by protecting us from the things that don't happen. Every blessing that we receive is added to his track record of faithfulness in our lives, which then points back to point number two. So what do we do when we recognize the blessings of God? Give him thanks. Thank him with heart of gratitude. What's the best way to show that you're thankful? Obey his word. Which gets back to point number one. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. And he also said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you to do? See, it always comes down to obedience. If we want to demonstrate our gratitude to the Lord, the best thing we can do is to obey his word. And this gets down to the last point. The Lord is always on time. He's never late. He's never early. He's in control over all. Things happen according to his timeline. The challenge for us is we have a different timeline. 
We need healing now. We need financial relief now. We need a relationship restored now. We need a breakthrough now. He knows. He knows what we need. He's intimately involved in our situations. From our perspective, those things don't happen fast enough. But for other things, they happen fast, too quickly. Sometimes we act like we have more time than we actually do. Death comes quickly. Just this week, there were five brothers and sisters in Christ who we have, even I have ministered to over the years in this area, who passed away this week. They're home with the Lord. None of them thought that that would be their last week. They had plans beyond this week. But in God's sovereign timing, they didn't have that time. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Today could be our last. We need to be mindful of that. For those of you who are saved, abide in Christ. Tell others about Jesus. Show others Jesus by your actions. For those who haven't repented and believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and you want to, you can. Just look back at these four points. Receive the word of God. God's word says all have sinned and fallen short. I've sinned. Everyone has sinned and fallen short. God's word also says that the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of eternal life is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We're not perfect. God's perfect. And his word also says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's what God's word says. And his word also says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All. All means all. Receive the word of God. The next step towards that of being able to repent and believe is to remember God's faithfulness. That would be point number two. If you have not yet accepted Christ and you're here this morning, look back at your life. How many times did you escape death? How many times could you have gone in a, in a terrible direction but didn't? Or maybe you are in a terrible situation right now, yet the Lord has preserved you and brought you here this morning to hear this message. That's his faithfulness to you. There's time for you. And having done that, step three, 
Recognize the greatness of God. God is the sovereign king of the universe. He is a holy and just God. And at some point in the future, all will be called to stand before him and answer for our sins and all the ways we fell short. For those of us who have repented and believed, our sin debt is marked, paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. But but respect the greatness of God that if you are still in rebellion against him, you will have to answer before him one day. But then we get on to step four. Recognize the blessing of God. And if you have not repented and believed, the blessing of God is this, that you don't have to pay the price for your sins. You can't pay the price for your sins. But Jesus Christ did. This is why we worship him. That's why all these songs this morning are looking forward and proclaiming and celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're looking forward to Christmas morning where we can celebrate and observe his birth because because of him, we have been set free. So if you don't know the Lord, if you have not been saved and you've gone through those four steps or you want to, please, please, please come and see one of us pastors at the end of service. We might be having a conversation with somebody. I guarantee you that conversation is not as important as the conversation you want to have with us about your soul. So, if you see us talking with someone else and you want to get our attention, get within our field of vision and just just tap your heart. Just tap your heart. We'll, and we'll, we'll see that. And we'll know what you want to talk about. And if we're talking with someone else, and we're not looking you eye to eye, but we're looking over your shoulder, please know that we're not trying to be disrespectful. We're looking out for those opportunities where someone wants to receive Christ. And I know you'd rather us have that conversation than anything you would like to talk about. So please do those things. Today could be the day of a new life in Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you in Jesus' name for your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, we can look back at your track record in our lives. No matter what has happened, you are sovereign over all of those things. And thank you that we can just sit back and and, and rejoice in that and give you thanks because we have received the gift of pardon. And we're not worried about where we're going to spend eternity, but we have the assurance that our sins have been paid for, we have been forgiven, and we are new creations in Christ. We are now adopted into your family, and when we breathe our last here, we'll be home in heaven with you. Lord, for those of us who are your children, give us a holy boldness and a humble certainty to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those we encounter in the coming days and weeks ahead. May our words be filled with truth and love and rejoicing and gratitude for you. May our actions be different from the world, noticeably different, that we stand out in a righteous way, in a good way, that honors you, glorifies you, and is a blessing to others. And Lord, for those who have not yet surrendered to you, who are still under condemnation, who are still going to face your wrath. We know as long as they're breathing, it's not too late. 
Please, Holy Spirit, grab a hold of their hearts. Convict them of their sins. Convict them of their rebellion. And draw them to Jesus. That they would repent and believe and be born again. And that we would have new brothers and sisters in Christ to rejoice alongside with them. We pray for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you're dismissed, I need to refer back to the teaching outline. If you would take your teaching outline and have the banner facing you and fold it in half, top to bottom, towards you. So it's in half. Then take it and turn it from left to right. Fold it in left to right. Just fold it down and then fold it left to right. You should see Christophanes in the Bible as the front page. This is a little pocket guide that highlights some of the Christophanies, those appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. And we want to encourage you as a pastoral care team to to study God's word in this coming week through these Christophanies to see our Lord Jesus before the first advent, before his birth on Christmas morning. And consider the questions there that will help draw our attention to Jesus.